The RC Podcast is brought to you by Cook Lens, makers of the 5i, S4 and Pancros, all handcrafted to give you the famous Cook look, but with the latest innovations and technology such as lens eye data. For more information, go to cookoptics.com. You're listening to The RC, your guide to digital cinema, filmmaking, and cutting-edge imaging. Hi, and welcome to this week's RC number 106. Uh, Join in the studio and in the men in black pod chairs. Jason Wingrove, how are you, sir? Hello. <laughs> ah, yes. Excellent. It is, I just can't, I've forgotten how good they are already. It's sensational, these pods. I'm going to have to get one for home now. Uh, well, we've got a lot for you this week in the show. We are going to be uh, discussing Oscars. We're going to be discussing Kodak. We're also going to be discussing and having in the Red Room uh, this week's Oscar preamble uh, interview, which is with the guys at Ari about the Master Primes. And, Jace, the Master Primes spectacular lenses recognized by the Academy um, really, I think, deservedly thus. Um, gorgeous lenses. You've shot with them, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And such, what's amazing is just such a range. You know, so like every couple of millimeters, there's a another lens. If you don't like that size, there's another one along in, it, along in a minute. It's um, a, just yeah, more rental than buying. Um, but uh, yeah, sensational. Look, it's not small glass, but no. you have to say at one three, it's spectacular glass. Yeah, it's um, beautiful. Um, uh, a, a, a slightly different look, not a massive look, but a slightly different look from 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 ultra primes, a larger lens, but uh, yeah, beautiful stuff. Yeah, look, we'll be talking to those guys uh, from Ari in the red room. It's an amazing set of lenses. The the twelve is unbelievable, but the twelve, the fourteen, the sixteen, the eighteen. I mean, what a what a close split that is. The twenty one, twenty five, twenty seven, thirty two, thirty five, forty, fifty. 65, which I think is a favourite of yours. Right? Mm, 65. Mm, then there's the 75, 100, 135. Because you normally get these kits that are like 25, 35, 50, yeah, the standard set of standards would be 25, 35, 50, 85. And that's, there's always a bit of a 55, 50 sometimes a bit sort of wide and 85 is a bit too tight sometimes. 65 is just a perfect, uh, just makes a perfect kit. Wonderful aspherical lenses. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about how they're all put together and that's all coming up later in the show in the Red Room. But first to the news desk. And now, the RC News. And Jess, I wanted to hit off the news, if I could, mm. um, with Kodak, because big news that uh, we had mentioned, I think might have been mentioned last week, that Kodak was going to restructure and form two new business units uh, from its current three. But it's in fact filed for Chapter 11. Uh, so that's, it's not actually gone out of business. It's filed yeah. for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection. Um, so that's, that's pretty significant. Um, and... Um, Which does not mean film stops popping off the end of the production line like, you know, yesterday. This is, you know, th- this is restructuring rather than closing stuff down at this stage. Yeah. I thought we'd just before we got into some of the restructuring negative stuff, it'd be good to just take a moment to reflect on some of the positive stuff um, that, you know, really is the Kodak story. Um, uh, in doing research for the podcast, I found out that the first digital camera these guys developed was in 76, if you believe it. Which is amazing, I guess. The trick being taking imaging from analog, you know, TV. It was there was you know obviously electronic imaging for ages, but taking it to digital and being able to store something and retrieve it back then was yeah probably pretty pretty impressive. I'd love to see what that image was. Yeah, ninety four is the <laughs> probably first. pretty shitty. 90, by the way, if anyone knows who Marcy is, I've been trying to track her down. 
But anyway, um, I diverse. Uh, okay. First rat hole of the day. Um, I've been looking for Marcy now, Jeff and I, off and on for about three years. Okay. Digital Marcy. Marcy, the picture on the... Oh, on the, the China girl. Yeah. Oh, is it sure it's called a China girl for some Marcy. reason? Um, anyway, okay. first... Uh, the colour chart woman. Yes. The right. first colour digital camera, 94. Um, and obviously uh, just a lot of really great history there. Apart from anything else, um, you know, I think we want to just dispel a couple of rumours or myths, I guess. Mm. People have been like, oh, this is all about uh, people shooting, you know, cinema on Reds and on uh, Aries and stuff. Obviously, this isn't really the biggest problem that Kodak faced. The biggest problem Kodak faced, the first one, was the move when the consumer market, which shot a lot of film, moved to digital. I mean, that was a much bigger blow than anything we've done. Yeah, the point-and-shoot sort of movement. I mean, yeah. because you didn't just, you know, I mean, that was what their company was built on, was not just buying the film. It was getting it processed and then getting it printed. It was a three-step you know, payment system. You had to buy the film, then you had to process the film, then you had to print the film, and it was just like, wow, it's awesome. We're getting three, three bytes at everyone's dollar, which you know doesn't take long for technology that removes that to uh, uh, accelerate things pretty quickly. I mean, it was you know it was a great process, but man, there's uh, there's a lot to be said for <laughs> yeah what well, we have now. The other thing is, of course, uh, even in our area, the entertainment industry, it wasn't shooting on an ARRI or a RED or a, uh, you know, F35 that was the problem. It was actually not, like a bigger issue, I guess, is that print films, um, because there's a lot more copies or prints of a film made than the original camera neck that's in the camera. Yeah, there's all the internegs and then and then not and then to release prints and and um, um, and sound stock and all the sort of a lot of uh, printing and uh, chemistry goes on just on the audio side alone. You know, sound stock and soundtrack and um, I guess someone has to make make magnetic, you know, the magnetic film. I guess for uh, sound mixing, well, it did well. Yeah, so let's have a look at what it means for us today, like moving forward. And obviously, we want to go beyond just the headlines. Um, we're gasing our stuff off. Uh, so what's happening is they've gone into Chapter 11. They're doing a restructuring. And the idea is they're trying to sort out um, a like a $950 million, basically debitor in possession, or it's known as a dip uh, facility. And this is where you have money to sort of do stuff. That's also a $250 million in a secured kind of asset revolving credit line for ongoing business and a $700 million um, sort of secured long-term loan. Mm. So that's the 950 that we're talking about, and that's what they're trying to raise. As part of raising that, they've issued quite a lot of um, statistical information and sort of financial planning stuff, and that's what we're basing our, um, our stuff off here. And the reason that I wanted to flag it is because, of course, people in our industry are particularly interested in what it means to people want to shoot films. And, uh, yeah, how much them. longer are they going to be able to shoot film? So, so a couple of things I wanted to touch on. The first one is that as part of the restructuring, they're going to slash a lot of uh, jobs. And um, the sort of bad news, I'm going to quote from this document now, much has been made of the fact they're going to try and sell their intellectual property and their patents and stuff. And, of course, that's, that's all true. Yeah. But that doesn't really affect me personally, me being a filmmaker. It's, um, you know, it's okay, they sell it, they don't sell it, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, but what matters a lot is that they're going to be um, – and, and I'm now directly quoting from this document, significant reduction in finance costs, okay, um, blah, blah, reporting, all non-essential advertising and marketing programs eliminated. Okay, well, yep. there goes your Hollywood Reporter ads. But yep. more to the point, all non-core corporate research and engineering eliminated. Yeah. Which begs the question, what do they consider is their core business going forward? 
So we looked that up. And the same uh, documents that outline this outline exactly what they think their core businesses are. Now, Jace, this may not really set your afterburners alight, but um, I might be presuming. They consider their core business to be retail system solutions, so that's like kiosky stuff, document scanning and uh, some pre-press stuff. Right. And the growth area is to be inkjet printing, um, general digital printing stuff at a more enterprise level. Uh, and sort of pre-press solution stuff. That is what they consider their core business and the areas of possible growth. Wow. I'm imagining how they're going to have growth in their printing area if they're going to, as you said, shut down or pretty much stop researching on developing anything. Well, they're stopping research on any non-core areas. The trouble is, if you look up where entertainment imaging or commercial film sit, they sit in the other category, which is managed for cash and value. So... Things that are managing for cash and value, which you know, I would interpret personally as milking out what we can before it goes away, yep. uh, is obviously intellectual property, but it's commercial film, entertainment, yep. consumer film, because there ain't a lot of that, and then stuff like chemicals, paper stuff, and then some weird stuff like event imaging solutions. That's Kodak's things that are on roller coasters that take photos yeah. of you when you scream. Right, right. And ride film, I guess, ride yeah. any sort of entertainment, um, big projection, maybe I guess that would also be... Well, I don't know, it'd be IMAX printing. But, um, yeah, I guess they're going to... Well, so they're already considering film as being something that basically is going to let wither and, and die with its natural that, that progression, which is, like you know, thing. fair enough. As, uh, that that's probably as it w- it's going to fade out. Yeah, they're not shutting it down. They're just going to keep hanging on to it until uh, until there's no more demand. Now the other this area doesn't they, help the demand, though, no, does it? it when you see stuff like this, you know, this is it really scares producers. It really scares people who are thinking of longevity of their product, um, or to be able to finish a film that they start. You know, what if you start a production three months later, you know, you suddenly can't buy the same stock you started shooting your film with? Yeah, well, let me give you an idea on that timeline because it is important. The sixteenth of January was the bankruptcy filing. I think it came irrelevant on the seventeenth, January twenty third, which is just a day or so before. In fact, the day before we were recording this podcast was the launch of the syndicate or the syndication that the idea of getting this um, refinancing package and stuff happening. We do not know how that has gone because it is too soon after its close date to comment. But the other big thing that is a, a lot of importance to me, of course, coming from a post background is where CineSite sits in all this because CineSite is a Kodak subsidiary in the UK. Uh-huh. So we looked that up. Um, so CineSite is part of a business operations unit that reports into Kodak Limited UK. And that, in turn, reported into Eastman Kodak Company. So the bad news is that um, the corporate structure of the UK is immaterial to this. It's not like that is giving them a shield. Though there are certain uh, very distinct differences to the UK operation. For example, the UK pension plans and stuff, which are are very important. Actually, I have a UK pension fund. I used to work at uh, Ranks Intel. And I I know that to be quite a a deliberate corporate thing that's different from how it's treated in the uh, USA. So anyway... um, there's also obviously other specific country operations like India and France and stuff, but um, uh, that's how CineSight sits. And, of course, right. we want CineSight to be a separate, prosperous company because they're just such a really, really good company. I presume they work. would be, you know. I mean, they turned out some fantastic work on Stranger totally. Tides and Battle Los Angeles, whatever you think of the film. The visual effects were pretty impressive and uh, Deathly Hallows and... Yep, absolutely. A lot of stuff. Which I guess segues well into our second huge piece of news for the day, which is the Oscar nominees that have just come out. Mm, Okay. So, uh, 
the main two things for cinematography is uh, there's still a lot of film happening there in in the list uh you've got uh, war horse was uh, shot on film uh as was i'm pretty sure the artist was and tree of life definitely was uh, but uh, sim- uh, digitally, we have Dragon Tattoo, of course, uh, shot by Jeff Cronenworth, and Hugo, shot by Robert Richardson. Um, uh, Dragon Tattoo, obviously shot on R- uh, Red One and uh, Epic, and Hugo shot stereo on uh, Alexa. So congrats to those guys. That's uh, I haven't seen Hugo yet, but I have seen Dragon Tattoo. Uh Okay, so we should talk about that. I, I've actually seen Hugo. Um, you've seen Tattoo. Now, we were talking about this. Did you yeah. get to see the 4K in the end? Yeah, I went to ch- eventually. It took a while. It took a while to chase this down to find out exactly, you know. I mean, because this is not really questions that the average punter asks. Excuse me, is this screening on 4K? Do you excuse me? Do you have a 4K DCP? Uh, say <laughs> what? I don't know, but here's our, here's our popcorn menu. You know, you have no idea most of the time. Um you really have to dig deep and uh, find this out. So, uh, yep, tracked it down. And, uh, well, I don't know. I mean, I, I went in there not expecting to have my eyeballs seared out of my skull with the mind-bending visual uh, amazingness, like the difference of going from 35 to IMAX or, you know. I don't think it's even as dramatic as, say, a DVD and a really good Blu-ray. It's, you know, it's... Really, you didn't. You didn't I, really. I was looking at I was looking at the trailers beforehand and seeing you know like I presume would have been finished at two K kind of trailers all projected digitally. Um, I didn't. I mean, it was nice and and, and sharp, but I, it wasn't it wasn't a difference that the audience would notice. I don't think it's not going to be the kind of thing where, given the choice, they're going to say, "Oh well, we've got to go see this in four. Got to go to this cinema and go see it in four K." It's not going to be a. It's not going to be a. It's not going to be a conscious voting with their feet decision to go with 4K versus 2K. I don't think it was as dramatic. Like, I mean, I'm going to say, obviously, we don't want to. <laughs> we don't want to crap on 4K. Of course, it's still going to be... There's, there's visual projection systems yet as yet un, unlaunched, as yet invented, proje- and um, archiving systems and transmission systems we don't know about. It's probably best to at least f- not future protect but future, future sort of help the future out a little bit by shooting as, as high a res as you can and posting as high a res as you can. I'm all for that. That's terrific. But in terms of comparing a 2K to 4K in the average standard punter cinema um, with a reasonably new installation, I wasn't, like, completely blown away. The thing, actually, though, was you've seen the film, right? It's a reasonably moody, it's quite a moody film, it's quite low light levels, even almost, I'm mm-hmm. almost thinking, gee, is the projector dimmed down a bit or have I got 3D glasses on? <laughs> it seemed a bit sort of, you know, overall the film was, well, although beautifully, utterly beautifully shot, it was, it felt a little bit, you know, the levels were a bit low for me. Uh, so, I think it was, actually goes on to a point that, um, uh, that, Charles Poynton made, uh, which you'll touch on him uh, earlier. He's been here doing some interesting uh, presentations and, and courses with you that I I'd sort of hop, hopped in on for a little bit. And he made this interesting comment, which was he'd made it just after I'd gone and seen the film. He said um, that you know, your perception of sharpness is also, uh, I guess it makes sense when you think about it, is 
affected by the contrast of the scene as much yep. as as much as you know the sharpness itself and i could certainly see it, it it was perceptibly sharper in some of the brighter scenes there just wasn't very many of them a lot of the stuff if you haven't seen the film is very um you know, it's 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 all shot at night, pretty much. Yeah, it's a lot dark. of night it's interiors, and exteriors. It's beautiful. It's utterly beautifully shot. It's not film. exactly the most uplifting sort of. No, copies. don't get me started on the film itself. It's not exactly. It's not my cup of tea, anyway. You know, not not into the whole. Uh, not into uh, anal rape. No, not 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 as, sex as a hobby or kind of torture. To, no, no stuff? torture porn. No, no. no not no, really no. a date movie, is it? I mean, really? I, I love the fact Take that a girl on a the date. power of film that it can film. so manipulate you and scare you shitless and almost make me. I was so close to walking out actually, just because I just didn't. I just don't like to be. I just didn't like where it was about to go. <laughs> but. Um, but it's Fincher. Yeah, look, it, it, I mean, you know, he has a dark side, you know, heads in boxes and, you know, he... he, he that can, was good, the head in the box was yeah, good. Yeah, he can definitely seven. He can definitely go there. Speaking it's of interesting, seven, I think directors go... title sequence on <sighs> Tattoo. The title sequence. It was, like, uh, Fincher had an awesome title sequence. Yeah, freaking awesome title sequence. What was the title sequence for? For Dragon Tattoo. Oh, right, okay. Interesting. What are you saying? Well, it just felt like I just was a real spliced on from the last Bond film or something. It didn't actually what? relate. To, relate. You didn't like the it, stuff that did it? Okay. How does it relate to the movie? It totally relates to the movies. Right. There are three of them, obviously. Uh, the which trilogy. two movies are those? Was I seeing those? It's, was it a it oh, one shit? Of the, did I walk most, out and there was another one of the two more films? Famous bloody oh, trilogies in current cinema that's running. Oh shit! You know did I? Bloody, I should have stayed in the cinema. You know about Hornet and Fire. I've, I have heard of these films, but those weren't the ones I was sitting down to watch. I was sitting down to watch well, you, one particular film with for which that was the title sequence for which I was freaking watching, okay? And it relates absolutely... I mean, it's, it's amazingly... It's very visual. It's very captivating. It is completely did what the brief was from Finch was to, like, completely... Com, like, rethink the entire... A title sequence for me. Rethink what you what you what we think of a title sequence is, and that they, they completely did. It's a completely brilliant. But I, I mean, the did I did I make was really, I dozing really... when they had sex wrapped in oil or something? It's not oil. Or freaking with it's a... not oil. Okay, it's not oil. No. Well, what is that? It's it's emotionally damaged ooze stuff. <laughs> okay, I must have missed that scene where there was. Shagging on a beach with the oil slick from the north, oh, a so busted open oil tanker or something. And and Trent and Atticus well, did such an awesome. Yeah, I know Zeppelin you're sticking up song. for your visual effects peeps. That's fantastic. They're it's the really good. Composers, you dork. Okay, sorry, Trent Reznor. I see what you mean. I just think that was a, for a, me. Okay, just okay. I'm a film numpty. I don't get it. I don't get. I didn't get the film, film so much. And I didn't understand the title sequence. You like the me. film though. You just didn't like the the violence to women, right? Um. You just and he yeah, like I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm not, I'm, yeah, I'm not in, I'm not into that at Obviously, all. Obviously, I, I respect or, you for not being into violence to women, but well, I'm just into, not into sort of violent or torturey based films. I think there's so many things you can do with a film, and uh, I mean, I knew what I was going heading into. I just maybe not. I quite thought that. that the guys at Blur did a freaking awesome job. The soundtrack, yep. ripped. Oh, I, I yeah, do see your point awesome. that that was slightly incongruous to the film in some kind of northern Swedish kind of way and yet it just set a really what, kick ass what the sequence you mean she was, she was yeah she was oh, like it was awesome p- 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 the okay. performances were fantastic she's uh, been know. nominated for a, an Oscar as well I think. oh has she yeah. wow she's brilliant she's can really I swing good. you back to the Oscar discussion because I just don't want to sit here listening to you insult um, the title sequence anymore 
Can I? There's nothing wrong with the title sequence. Oh. It's just maybe it's for a film that hasn't been shot yet. <laughs> yeah, the other two films are going to oh, connect up. Yeah, great. Good. That's terrific. All right. I just didn't re- I didn't see that on the ticket stub that there was a, oh, you know. For the love of God. That I had to go prerequisite of entry that to make this first 10 minutes make sense, I had to uh, go and watch another couple of films or read another couple of books. Right. Okay. So that, just also, shit, that just shits me. Okay. No, no I won't. that just shits me that you artist? get. Look, well, you Tree shouldn't make any life. sense. Well, did you read the book? No, I went to see the freaking film. From beginning to end, the film itself should make sense and should not relate to the fact that I have to pick up a paperback. Okay. 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 Anyway, okay. I don't think Let's move your on. understanding of the film was adversely affected by your, dare I say it, somewhat <laughs> pedestrian so interpretation of cool graphic design in a title sequence. I just should link it some bit if you can. You can see any. It doesn't need to be linked logically or physically. Okay. It's it's very dark. She was damaged. Okay. Wait Mm. till you see. Just trust me on this. Okay. Well, don't even trust me. Just ignore me. But go and see the other films. Or Finch is making the other two. I I hope Finch is making the other two. I think he did a really good job. So the title segments for the first one will make sense. Moving on. Okay. Okay. Um, You know, cinematography. The artist. Uh, which I haven't seen yet, it hasn't opened here, um, I don't think it's even previewed yet, Tree of Life, Warhorse. Um, the only thing I'd say about Warhorse, and I said this uh, to John Montgomery when we were doing a DOD podcast, it did feel... Um, lit. Lit, yeah. It did, didn't it? There's it's theatrical. some very unusual decisions in that lighting in that film. And, God, here I am, you know, sitting in a pod talking about it on the other side of the world, and, you know, he's out there, sh- yeah, and he's out there shooting for, for, for Spielberg, you know, year in, year out, and uh, gee, let me think who's probably most qualified to comment. Uh, but uh, yeah, there were some pretty unusually overly lit scenes that were not 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 a grading decision. That were actually this this yeah, this really is were. a moody. I mean, clearly, I guess they've got but some you know some very awesome. iffy Scottish weather, Scotland Island. No, anyway, uh, some of that stuff at the end, in particular, was oh. like just. Up, it was oh the very very end yeah it was, was just like what uh-huh. it was like so a commercial the, but at the beginning though like the, clearly you got light coming up and down and I mean it, it is an absolutely amazing film in terms of performances animal performances and capturing it on film and no doubt he stayed on schedule which is what he does he's just I saw, utterly amazing I saw Moneyball the other night have you seen that yet no I haven't it's really, definitely really really nice and it was nominated for best picture actually quite a few acting things as well but um, I don't think it was nominated in cinematography, but it was a really good film. I thought it was good. And it's, I think it's nominated in editing. What's in editing? Let's have a look what's in editing. Uh, editing. Uh, for Sorry. Um, Just editing full stop. Yeah. Uh, well, film editing. One notable thing is uh, Moneyball, yes. Kirk Baxter. Uh, the Kirk fellow Baxter. Aussie. Ex-Sydney, ex-Sydney, very ex-Sydney Sydney cider. Uh, Kirk Baxter, who used to cut here, used to assist on jobs I had had cut here. In with Angus Wall for uh, and Tattoo. co-editing Angus with Angus Wall for uh, Go a Dragon Tattoo. A good film. Both you see it. both won Oscars for Social Network, I think, for cutting. And Hugo's also in editing The Descendants. Have you seen The Descendants yet? No, no, it's on the list. That's shot on film. You should come over to my place. I have. You got screeners. I've got a screener. I can't give you the screener because that would be illegal. No, you would never but do you that. Come over to my place and watch You've it. Never with me. ever lent them before, and I've you know I've asked and people have asked. That but would be illegal. Well, it would because uh, it's not, I that's, respect that's part of the agreement. My agreement. Mm. Um, and the artist, which is unfortunately I haven't seen. Okay, so that's kind of cool. The only thing I'd say is, and just in terms of surprises, uh, feature documentary. There's a little racing film that I was expecting to see there. Senna was an excellent uh, docker. I was surprised to... I didn't say that, that it was even in the shortlist. Absent. Uh, 
was in the shortlist? No, it wasn't. It wasn't in the shortlist. I don't know if it was disqualified or just they didn't mm. like it. I yeah. thought it was really good. Yeah, because they just changed that. Uh, I'm pretty sure they just changed that rule, obviously, after all of this has happened, changed it for next year, that I think for the first cull of the list, because they get so many submissions, yep. I think they get a bunch of, uh, you know, like script reader type interns. Um, to cull down to... Another script intern is actually members well, you of the know. Academy, but it's just a subset. It's, a not, subset. Everyone. it's not everyone's voting for it. <laughs> subset people. Subset Who people. do the uh, culling, and yes. then it's uh, then it's full Academy members to do then the final selection, I guess. But um, to Helen back again, um, Dan Fung Dennis's um, uh, documentary, which mm-hmm. he shot on the 5D heading into Afghanistan, I think. Uh, being uh, embedded with with troops there on the front line, which just it, it, that alone is just freaking amazing. That you just re- yep. risk. it always amazes me. Those guys, not just the, you know the the guy the the guys in service, uh, the troops in service, but that's their job. But then to to voluntarily say, okay, I'm a press shooter. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna follow. Um, that that's ballsy, and to take it like a freaking steady cam and five D and 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 be a man by by yourself and just bringing up the rear, so to speak, is um, oh, that's pretty ballsy too. So congrats to Dan Funk Dennis who, yeah, nominated for um, go and find the trailer if you can for that if you haven't already seen it, and or um, if you look back at the archives, I can't remember which episode, but we definitely spoke to Dan Fung after he shot that uh, project, talked about it in depth about his gear and, and, and the shooting process. Vim Vendor's uh, doco made it, didn't he? The 3D dancey thingy documentary oh, thing. Oh, okay. But um, the Interrupters wasn't there, the, the um, gangster Chicago violent crime thing. Right, don't know that one. Um, don't know that one. And Into the Abyss? Which was Werner uh, Herzog's Death Row documentary. Also didn't make it, I think. I love documentaries. Okay, so um, moving right along um, in the news uh, thing. Uh, mm. In other news, um, getting back to more specific stuff to do with this podcast. I don't think that's a rat hole. I don't think it is. But I do think it, you know, we do um, want to uh, swing it back a little bit to mm. more specifics. Mm. Um, a couple of new things uh, have happened in the geary kind of phase. Um, first of which, I guess, is that we now have street pricing on the Canon C300. Yeah, because uh, you can now pre-order. Good luck getting one, I'm sure, for months. It'll be quite a popular, despite the still, still I, read, I think, pretty high price. Uh, $15,999 US. You can pre-order at Adorama and B&H and all that sort of stuff. It's 15 and a half here in Australia. Yeah, I don't know whether it's still actually been locked in because they haven't got stock in i had to play with a last bit of pre-production not an early pre-production that like vincent would have had for mobius uh this is a later production camera it was all sort of labeled and and functioned perfectly had a good play with it and they were quoting um 15 and a half to 16 which is down uh, a couple of grand on what they originally talked about on the launch too so that's good it hasn't come down as much as I think it should be. I still think it's a worthwhile camera for at round ten or twelve or something. It's getting it's expensive for what it is, but it's it's a really nice camera. It's very light. It's very beautifully made. I, I love the way it's 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 built. It's very clever. It's really built. The layout of the buttons is very clever, and you can easily gain access to everything. 
Uh, there's no real touch screens or anything, but uh, I'm still not a fan of that whole top fold-out, right, chunky, bulky, yeah, the sort of fold-out, the top EVF thing that has these proprietary big, massive, chunky cables that are in the way for the... Uh, uh, for the audio audio cables, uh, so it's, it's, a, it's a little bit of an odd design. But you can put the monitor anywhere you want. And you can mount it in a fair few places. It's clever, but it just felt a bit sort of dicky. The rest of the camera, the camera body itself, is fantastic. But I don't know. Still don't know if it's worth sixteen hundred, sixteen grand. Also, Myself. also news from the House of Red. Uh, yes. Well, I guess we're getting towards the end of. Stage two, people are starting to get, starting to receive the last bits of stage two, the quad bot, quad battery module and the end module. Oh, I was going to talk about red gammas, but you, you talk about bits uh, yeah. and I'll talk about yes, gammas. Yes, indeed. That, that's very, very new. Have you ordered that stuff the, the, or got any of that stuff? The, nope. You know, nope. the SWAT stuff? Uh, yes, actually, I've got the spinner, which is the uh, rotating, beautifully made. What is it? Uh, the EVF mount so you can mount it off uh, uh one of the spot rails the bomb, bomb mount bomb mount yeah okay. exactly rotating bomb mount which is very nice no customs problems trying to bring in bomb mount for the swat gear yeah SWAT yeah gear for the bomb mount yeah okay yeah um yeah it got through also the top plate adjustable yeah another mount to go to mount this off so you can put the, the sliding top handle yeah it's called the uh, top adjustable top mount so it's another bracket to be able to mount the bomb off, the spinner off, and uh, it's just a lot more rail, uh, basically the SWAT rail, to be able to put uh, the sliding top handle on the top and put, put the bomb EVF on the side. Uh, and the uh, gunner, finally, which is something that we saw under Epics and Scarlet's, God, it's got a couple of year, a year or two ago. Uh, well, we're coming so, up to the February deadline in, in a month when back order problems should be solved. So are these things shipping, going to ship, are shipping, have shipped in a... In uh, I don't know whether they're orderable and now pretty quickly went into back order. Right. Some stuff is coming out of back order that's been an in back order for a long time, like the, the bomb EVF has been uh, hard, really, really hard to get. That's something apparently if you order it, it'll ship today. Uh, red moats have been really hard to get. Uh, they're starting to come out of... A I lot of things a, are starting to come out of back order. I just got one of those from you recommending it, the back plates, not made by oh, yeah. red. Yeah, the little... Up the, yeah, just the little... Um, I think, I'm trying to think what I was going to say that it's it's wooden camera, but it isn't, is it? No. It's, it's a company that just makes... There's a couple of people making them. So I think something called cinema, cinema Oxide makes something. Wooden camera will make a back plate, yes, indeed, which then you can add on cheese plates or battery mounts. Um, I'm trying to think what this is called. Something 13. Uh, anyway, it's just really simple, like $30, $50 plastic, you know, just piece of ABS plate to go over the top of the really very fragile little tiny pins hmm. in the back of this ca- this camera that up until now, people who haven't had, haven't got battery plates or a red moat have got nothing on the back of the camera to protect it. And yep. some pretty fragile pins that just let one little ding, you know, one little sort of object hits that and you've bent a lot of very, very fine pins and then that's back to the shop with you. So, yeah, uh, I, will, shop for I you. put hmm? back to the shop for you. Back to the shop. Uh, back to LA with you. 
uh, I don't know why I said that in a German accent. So I'll put the link into that little backplate. Uh, I can't remember what it's called at the moment. But, uh, yeah, it's pretty simple and just bolts on. Well, I saw yours it. and went, ooh, what's that? And yes. you were like, oh, no, I got this thing and it was just yes. really simple. It's I went, cheap. That's it's what the I want. cheapest red thing I've bought. Well, I want to stick it in my bag, the red, so that I can pull it out for doing spit, sort of, uh, I don't know, gorilla type stuff. Yeah, it will sort of slide on and kind of stay there. It doesn't not like quick release thing. Ideally, to keep it staying there, you've got to put a couple of bolts in it, which is a little bit of a pain. There's but the red camera, the, the, the wooden camera one, which is like a little snap, snaps on thing, is quite nice. Again, if you want I'm to sorry, then I put. Just, I am not using my red mode. I mean, if I had a well, lot of crane use. Very well. well yeah. Apart from there. But I, I'm looking for Red Mode Pro. With the adjustable yes, focus, yes, Red Mate Pro would be good. Until then, not really. Would be good if it. I mean, the the dream of remote focus and focus control of Canon mounts is a great one, and I still hope it will work. But someday, at at the moment, it's a bit sort of the the, the control you have over the lens is a little bit sort of green and a little bit iffy at the moment it, it, it will it will get better red moat transmitting distances will get better the way it all works will get better i'm sure just at the moment it's all a little bit green and it's all a bit you know iffy and don't really go any further than about three meters away from your camera with a red moat uh, at the moment but i think there's there's stuff afoot that's um that's happening with with all this and transmission and and Wi-Fi's and things that so hopefully will all sort itself so out. NAB, do you think? NAB be good. NAB. Looking forward, forward to, to the NAB. Hmm. Looking forward to the NAB. Yeah, definitely, definitely looking forward to it. It's really sort of starting to wind up now. People, there's a lot of static people starting to talk about. Okay, where am I going to stay? Um, Red have announced they're uh, they're doing a red party. A party, a party. Really, I don't know that. Yes. Um, well, you're gonna have to. You're gonna have to give me a link now. Yeah, I'll put it in the show notes. Well, it's, you know, it's right there on Red Red User. I think it's just a no real details yet. They're just saying. Oh, actually, it's being put on by. I think it's Light Iron uh, are um, co-hosting it or putting on the party on behalf of Red. Oh, really? Yes. Um, uh, 6 p.m. Sunday, April 15, 2012, Red User Party, powered by Light Iron. You're going to want to be there, says Michael Cioni. How do you get in? Good question. Do I have to email Michael? Good question. I'm sure you, I'm sure you know Michael. I'm emailing him as we speak. <laughs> Not Michael, him. You are Michael. all invited. Well, it says you're all invited, so... You're all invited. There you go. <laughs> but uh, no further details as to where it is. I'm sure that's all being locked in. But, uh, yeah, hey, you're going to want to be there, whatever that means. Uh, yeah, so definitely looking, really looking forward to it. Uh, it's a great chance to to meet up with, with uh, a lot of fantastic people. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of amazing gear. I'm going to try and spend, as I've said, a bit more time actually just soaking up the gear and um, uh, less time just... Swanning about being a dork. Hard, I know. I have emailed Michael to try and get <laughs> RC access for filming and reporting. Press access. In case you're not there. Hey, um, 
Okay, so moving right along, if we've finished, are we finished with... Um, I guess so. Gamma? I don't want to sort gamma. of do this sort of month, week, talk about week by week sort of updates to shipping stuff because it's, yeah, as we all know, it all it all changes. And, you know, we're, we're, our focus is is bigger than red, but uh, bigger than bigger than just bigger than stuff. Yeah. Uh, so Red Gamma 3 is uh, yes. being released. Mm. Um, we don't know much more about it. Well, you? I know a little okay. bit. Okay, all right. Yes. Yep. Um, so basically, this is uh, a gamma. This is not red color three. This is red gamma. So this is a new gamma curve for red. Yep. This is not designed for those of us that are doing feature film and going for scene-referred linear workflows because to do that, I'd need an inverse uh, gamma function that would allow me to remove the gamma curve, thus providing a scene-referred linear of course. Um, so that I would be able to render CG and fit it in accurately. Stop looking at me like that. No, I knew that. When, when you, okay, when you render CG, right, you need to know what the lighting setup is, but you also need to know what any kind of encoding is because the computer can reproduce virtually anything, but it needs to know what the target is to aim at, right? Right. So yep. if I sampled with HDRX on set and got a lighting setup, which would give me the luminance and the lighting and the reflectivity and everything else at a particular point, I plug those numbers in the CG, I render your CG car, I want to put into your CG scene for your, your commercial. Right. If your background has a gamma on it, well, I need to apply that gamma to my CG. Or more importantly, what I actually want to do is ungamma your footage, combine my image with your image and view it through a viewing light because I all, want, all the maths works correctly when it's in linear, and so the edges work correctly, the softness works correctly, the, trans, the, the highlights work correctly, pings and stuff on the car would all mix correctly. All that maths has to be done without gamma applied, and then I would apply an overall gamma to it on output. So that's why we don't want to work with JPEGs and stuff, because they've all got the gamma baked in, yeah. and, and reversing them out can be done, but you have to know the curve that went in. Yeah. This is not, this is not as I believe, a gamma curve that's published. So this is if you wanted to do something for TV. So this is so going to be an output viewing lot then no, for no, no, the no. camera? This is, like, this is, just, this is in this, red, red, red Cineac. Yeah, but let's say you go and do sea pools, the final frontier. These are the pools of the northern beaches. And you just want that stuff to look good. Then you would use, and you're going to put it on YouTube and put it on a reel and stuff. You would use Red Gamma 3 and output a really nice-looking picture oh. that you'd be very happy with or retransfer any of your old material from the earlier C-pools and it would look really good. Oh, yeah. But you wouldn't give it to me with Red Gamma on it if you wanted me to make a CG car and put it in your, wood, in your swimming pool. Yeah, this is not an output if I was sending it off to um, that would be create, create DPXs red for a grade. type stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so as a consequence, um, makes it look good, applies to all your old stuff, more aimed towards... Uh, somebody that is finishing for finishing sake, and quite frankly, that's a, a lot of people. That's fine, but uh, not not well. Yeah, and you could set this in in camera as well. Same look. Yeah. Output, I have output not got it for... on a camera. I don't see why you wouldn't be able to set it as an output look in camera. That's what normally consistently happens. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yes, it's just uh, Mr. Naturist being clever, indeed, and uh, I think it's good. But I think it's good. For that particular application, I'm filming an interview at, uh, oh, I don't know, let's say I was going over for the Oscars and the VES Awards, and I was filming with my Epic, just say, um, or you and I were shooting around the streets of Vegas at NAB, just say, just say. and we're trying to make a montage up for um, going out, as we will be, hopefully, from the NAB, live, that's a bit yeah. of a leak, um, then 
Yes. Live in video. Um, then we would shoot this way. Mm. So that would be good. And things would look good. And you would say, I would say to you once again, that looks good, Jace. And you'd go, thanks, Mike. But uh, you wouldn't want to do a lot of uh, computer graphic-y, high-end, post-production-y stuff to yeah, it. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a nice Michael Conti nice would not look. want you to hand him those as DPX files for his film. It's a nice output look, not a post-path cool. look. I said his name wrong again, didn't I? I said, I oh, God, I'm so oh, sorry, Michael. It's not Chioni. No, I just said it wrong. It is. Yes, I just I have a habit of saying his name wrong. My apologies, Michael. Okay. Uh, okay. Right. So, so yeah. So, Red Gamma 3. It's good. Check it out. You can't yet. When it's out, check it out. When it's out, check it out. Yeah. Okay, whenever that will be. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what else we got? Let's see. Um, I think we should go to the Red Room. I want to discuss okay. some other stuff when we get back. Yeah, yeah. Some geeky stuff and some other stuff. Mm. Um, but let's go to the Red Room now because I want to run through this uh, stuff to do with the Master Primes. I I know that, like, I don't think that the Master Primes are the perfect lens for every app because they are quite heavy, right? Let's face it, they're not. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. Not 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 the best handheld glass, but people people definitely do. I mean, if you're putting them on a big on a big um, you know, film camera with a thousand foot load and all that stuff. Then you want a bit of stuff up the up the up the front, and you know it's going to be fine. But for a smaller, lighter camera, like you know, Epics and stuff, it's not the first choice. But yeah, if you're on studio, on sticks, whatever, yeah, and you, you're not fussed about uh, the weight, go with the best glass. Yes. So um, I spoke to Stefan, who's the manager of the technical services area. I'm going to say his name wrong, but uh, it's. Yukas Bradley. It's U-K-A-S Bradley. I apologize, uh, Stefan. He's a terrific guy. We had a really, really good chat. Um, interestingly, uh, as I said the, at the outset, the um, SciTech Award for the Area Master Prime Lenses has been uh, awarded by the Academy, and it's, um, it's in recognition of their contribution for a lens which is able to achieve such incredible, um, basically, uh, exposure, like it's a full stop over advanced over sort of existing lenses. Mm. And uh, it's also... They take a while to come out, these SciTech awards, don't they? They do. That's the whole point. They, in fact, it's, it's very much not about what's happening this year. It's really something is out and proven and to be proven, very valuable to be the industry. Yeah, yeah exactly. It has um, to be a proven like it has changed the way the industry works or yep. it's improved the, what, what you do. Yeah, and uh, we are going to... Well, I'll tell you about it after the interview, but... Um, we, we really focus in this interview just on the master primes and in particular on some of the subtlety to do with the master primes, which quite frankly, uh, I love and, uh, and honestly think this is a very well-earned award. You are entering the Red Room. So congratulations on being recognized by the Academy. Um, it's obviously a very well-earned uh, recognition for the work of the, uh, the master primes. Well, thank you. Yes, uh, I mean, we are very proud of our uh, long collaboration with SAIS, who built uh, uh, obviously pristine optics, and uh, it is uh, a wonderful thing that it has been recognized by the Academy. So I was wondering if I could just discuss the, the lineup for a second and also some of the issues that make the lens so interesting. And there's, there's a lot of uh, aspects about it, but I guess the most uh, we should start with the range, I guess. There's, what, 16 lenses now in the um, Master Prime series? That is correct, from 12 millimeters all the way up to 150 millimeters, all ranging from a T1.3 to a T22. 
I'm going to come back to that T, uh, to that uh, 12 millimeter, because I think that's an exceptionally interesting um, lens in a second. But uh, these lenses are designed, obviously, for use in the motion picture industry. They're um, very fast, and that's a really incredible sort of T-stop that you've got on these. What 1.3 is phenomenal. It is. It is. Uh, um, I mean, we, we as I had the super speeds prior to that, but obviously because of the the size and the, and the, and the, the optics utilized in those designs, uh, uh, had some had some drawbacks. And uh, the the master primes is is uh, optical performance currently surpasses uh, all other primes for sure. And what's really interesting about it is not only, and we'll obviously spend most of this our interview talking about the quality of them and stuff, but just from a purely sort of rental house point of view, if somebody was doing this, you've done so many things to make this usable in the community. I, I hadn't even realized that you could swap on the same lens between meters and feet just by uh, swapping the uh, or reversing the, the ring. It's uh, real attention to detail. Yes, absolutely. I mean, our customers are obviously worldwide and uh, particularly here in the US, US uh, everybody, you know, goes by the feed scale. And uh, earlier we had to, you know, replace them and there was some initial or uh, additional investment uh, which needed to be uh, taken by, by our customers. And this is, uh, is a very, very quick and economic way of dealing with this issue. Yeah, it's just, uh, I mean, once I read that, obviously, I've never done that because I, when I rent them, they are in one or the other, but it just seemed to me like, wow, somebody's really thought about this. Um, and that's just like one aspect of it. Um, so I wanted to discuss if we could, uh, I was going to pick that 12 because I think it's a really interesting lens. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, these are aspherical lenses, but in fact, in the case of the 12 mm, there are two aspherical lens elements, isn't there, to, to achieve the uh, result? Um, I'm correct. Yes, I mean it, it's actually all of those uh, uh, master primes actually have some lens groups uh, which uh, which work uh, with each other uh, to uh, to reduce the breathing. Uh, so it's a, it's a patent solution for for this uh, lens breathing problem to have those uh, two independent moving groups for focusing. Earlier in the year, I was shooting with the uh, Ultra Prime 8R, which is just an astonishing lens. But it seems to me like the 12 has gone even further, not in terms of just a uh, field of, uh, of view, but just in terms of like the technology. It's, um, that 12 is, uh, I, I just can't believe it. It's that fast and that wide. Uh, it, it, we couldn't believe it either, quite frankly. I mean, we, we certainly spec'd it and uh, we... Uh, we uh, uh, certainly wanted to hit that uh, those uh, those uh, parameters, but uh, you know size came through and uh, they did exactly that. As you said correctly, the 8R was kind of our first uh, wide-angle lens that it's a part of the ultra prime group and uh, enabled us to to have a rectilinear image, meaning that there was no curvature. It was uh, kept uh, the, uh, the, the the straight edges. Uh, straight and and didn't distort them at all, and the same kind of technology uh, uh, influ- influenced the design of the 12 millimeter master prime. They must present some pretty serious manufacturing problems because to get that uh, level of precision at that speed just seems, in terms of the lens and the glass, I shudder to think how you'd approach that. Uh, absolutely, and uh, there are some some very proprietary uh, manufacturing processes size uh, created um, for for this exact reason, um, and um, 
if one uh, looks as uh, at the at the surface of some of those uh, lens elements, they have to be extremely extremely accurate. Uh, um, basically, we're talking about uh, tolerances there. Um, let me just uh, see there um, from like point uh, two, uh, um, 0.2 nanometers, uh, which is which is kind of uh, uh, unheard of, really. And that lens is around what three kilos and gives you about a what an eighty-five. I'm going to say eighty. It's about eighty-five hundred degree uh, field of view, sort of horizontally. It's uh, it's exceptionally uh, wide. Correct. Correct. The okay. only thing wider is 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 really the eight R, as we you know just previously discussed. That's about one hundred and fourteen degrees. We, we um, made that. But we, again, it doesn't doesn't it doesn't have the uh, the speed. You know, it's a uh, the it doesn't have the speed of the master prime. We made the mistake of putting the eight uh, R on a chopper going up the side of a waterfall, and I say the mistake because the footage is awesome. But of course, I felt like I was about to die. I was so close to this rock face, and, uh, <laughs> and of course, on the eight R, it felt very comfortable and quite uh, quite quite safe. Um, great great yeah, footage, just didn't yeah. give quite the same degree of urgency to uh, to the footage as I felt sitting on the side of the uh, chopper. And the other thing about it is the the you're actually holding the luminance or I guess I call it limits across the. You don't basically have fall off into the corners, um, which again is sort of you know you'd expect some vignetting at least uh, some. You're getting yeah, really I mean, good response across the lens. Absolutely, absolutely, and uh, the reason for that is that during the design phase, I mean, going uh, you know de- dealing with film in super thirty five versus regular thirty five format, uh, we had as a fail. Uh, safe to design the the, the uh, lens in such a way that even if the uh, offset of the mount would not correspond to the format, it would still cover it. So the image circle is actually larger than it uh, than it needs to be. Um, so that comes in really really handy now when using with the digital lenses, um, uh, digital uh, I'm sorry, digital cameras which have a, a larger, slightly larger sensor area than film would have. Am I right in thinking also that the Master Primes uh, change the uh, lens coatings because they seem to uh, be addressing flare and uh, obviously that's a big issue? Just for yes, yes, certainly. I mean, there is a a a, a, a new way uh, or a new coating, the uh, uh, XP coating, which was particularly developed, and that in conjunction with uh, special lacquers. Uh, developed by by uh, uh, eyes to absorb absorb stray light at those lens edges um, reduces uh, the flare tremendously in the reflexes. So that that uh, that reduction of flare is not only I mean people sort of think of it in terms of a uh, camera flare, but I'm thinking of it in terms of actually helping with our perceived notion of sharpness by. by producing a higher contrast image. And I was wondering if you could just talk about that for a second, just in general terms, because people talk about a lens being really sharp or, or whatever, but in fact, people's perception of sharpness is a function of contrast as it is a function of what you might call sort of optical focus, isn't it? Correct. I mean, reduced, reduced flares and reflexes uh, result in, in, in higher contrast and deeper blacks. And uh, that again is achieved with the uh, with the uh, lens coating as such, uh, and as well with those uh, lacquers I just mentioned, as well as uh, internal light traps, which uh, 
which are actually you know part of the design, the mechanical design of the lens. So if I had a a, a less well designed lens that had poorer light traps, I would actually perceive that lens possibly as not being as sharp, because even though the optics are the same, in fact I lose contrast. Correct. So what else? What what are the sort of critical factors in getting the lens? Because these are the sort of premium lenses. What is the is the sort of the sweet spot that you're trying to hit in terms of the combination of things that just let somebody walk up and say, "Oh my God, that's pin sharp." Well, it's it's uh, you know the, the the design of the optics uh, in, in general. I mean, you're starting with the with the glass. You know, the glass being used. Uh, obviously, size is very very selective of uh, the uh, uh, the the uh, the glass, and uh, then the the manufacturing. Uh, of of the optical elements, you know, which has to be you know high precision, and the the surfaces have to be extremely smooth. Then you know the uh, um, the, the 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 fact that uh, you know those those lens groups individually, you know, independently moving groups, uh, give you the best possible um, image quality without uh, without uh, uh, any any breathing or virtually no breathing at all. Uh, is is uh, pretty amazing. Yes, yes. In fact, the the breathing characteristics are really a hallmark of the of the the lenses, aren't they? Absolutely, absolutely. Can we switch our attention to the lens data system? Um, I was just keen to just discuss what it is that is the the built-in lens data system on the lenses. And how it well, works. the lens data the lens data system was actually uh, introduced with uh, the LDS uh, Ultra Primes uh, and the Ericam system back. Uh, I want to say uh, in 2000, well, probably 1999, around 2000. And uh, basically, what we have built in there is a, a, a contact-free encoder. Uh, for the uh, iris uh, as well as for the uh, zoom scales and uh, the lenses are then basically pro- pre-programmed the lens table is uh, generated and uh, there are four contacts uh, which then uh, when you attach those lenses to um, cameras which uh, can accommodate the lens control system um, basically uh, communicate with it and, and transfer the data uh, you know, and, and, and displays it on an uh, accessory like the lens data display focus puller um, graphically on the camera itself. With digital cameras, we can even take it a, a step further, where all this lens data is then actually embedded in the uh, uh, file data, um, which is uh, very, very helpful, particularly for VFX shots. What are the issues... Um at the other end of the uh, spectrum, like we talked a bit about the 12, but up at the 135 and the 150, are there any particular issues there in terms of the lens construction that, are, that makes the longer lenses um, an issue? Because they're still 1.3, of course. And, uh... Uh, absolutely. So, uh, I mean, there, there's obviously a lot of glass necessary to retain that, uh, the speeds of, of the lenses. And uh, traditionally, the uh, the... Uh, the, the wider lenses, you know, that the challenge there is to keep uh, keep them rectilinear, to keep the edges from from being uh, distorted. Um, with the uh, longer lenses, it's it's basically capturing you know enough light to retain the stop. So, 
it's 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 certainly a challenge. Uh, but I think uh, Sai has done a wonderful job in uh, in accommodating all this. And with the uh, Master Prime set, and if somebody's uh, sort of investing in Master Primes, there's also the diopters, isn't there? Can you talk about those? Co- correct, yes. Uh, we have uh, various diopters, uh, 0.5, 1, and 2, of which uh, um, you know work with all the Master Primes because uh, um, the... Besides, also besides having the the, the the focus ring, you know, also the, the the front element of all the lenses have all the common diameter of 114 millimeters. So those uh, um, um, diopters actually work with all of them, or can be, you know, like instead of the, like the, the the 14 is a, I'm sorry, the 12 is a slight, little bit slightly larger. There, it can <laughs> be used with a, with an adapter. We we can forgive you for that for that 12. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> Uh, but that, those diopters can be really important, especially in product shots and stuff where we want to get really uh, close in. Absolutely. But uh, don't forget, we also have a 100 uh, millimeter um, master macro, which uh, was introduced about two years ago. And uh, that is also a, a tremendous, tremendous lens, uh, which is not you know, listed as, as part of the uh, Master Prime series as such because it's a specialty lens, but uh, for particularly for close... Uh, Close focus. Uh, it's uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful product. So how how close focus is that? The uh, master master zoom. Well, the the master. Prime I'm sorry, is... the, the master pro, the, 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 the master macro. Yeah, because the normal or... master prime 100 is about a meter out. I, I imagine. Correct. I mean, there we can go really uh, about uh, 30 centimeters. You know, it's uh, it's it's uh, significant, really. Wow. Um. And so the the range has been, as you just alluded to, been sort of slowly expanding since it came out, like you've been filling various spots in the range. Um, and now with 16, there's a pretty comprehensive um, set of uh, of lenses here because we're really, I mean, in some cases, <laughs> the, the difference between the 25 and the 27 is fairly subtle. Um, I'm sure very... Fairly, yes. But uh, particularly our friends uh, who are used to... Uh, to primo lenses, you know, they're they're very fond of their 27. So uh, while we not had had it in in our uh, uh, original repertoire of lenses, uh, we decided to add that. So, so it's uh, it, while it is very subtle, you know, certain directors of photographies have their preference in in uh, in, in focal lengths. I never um, thought of, I never thought about just, this before, but I mean, uh, I mean, uh, this is a, a silly question, but I'll ask it anyway. Is there like lens in the lineup that is really the most popular lens? I mean, is there uh, in... Is one of these... I mean, because most people get a set of lenses, but I'm just wondering, is there a particular lens that you find again and again is the more popular? Um, well, a basic set, uh, I would consider about six lenses, and it starts probably about as wide as an 18, then going to uh, about uh, 27, 35, 50... 75 and 100. Uh, what is also very popular is uh, in, in as, as a medium lens is the 65. Uh, you know, it's a, mm. it's it's a wonderful lens. And now you know, going to touch the longer focal length, particularly for portrait shots, the 135 is uh, is uh, a wonderful, wonderful uh, focal length for exactly that. Yeah, I know in some of the. Um uh, publicity and stuff that you've done. There's some reference to the bokeh and and how it uh, it holds up. Can you just discuss that? What is it about that that um, 
because I remember seeing that in the uh, in some of the brochures when I saw it at uh, Cine Gear or whatever it was, and it was um, uh, it was to do with the way that the uh, iris opens, and you get a really nice bokeh on uh, the defocused highlights and stuff. Correct. I mean, we uh, have a uh, uh, fairly um like I say, a, a, a very round iris opening. Uh, depending on how many blades you really utilize for your iris, um, uh, you know, certainly uh, other lenses they have like a hexagon or so. Um, so when you have out of focus highlights, for instance, the reflection of a, a, a trumpet or a saxophone. Um, you, you can actually see that hexagon shape, whereas the uh, the uh, the uh, the out of focus highlights on the master primes are, are very very well rounded and very very smooth. Do so you have at least what nine or ten leaves on the? Uh, we, right? we have nine, I believe. Right. Okay. Yeah. And, and so that's what gets that wonderful. Because I was thinking, as you're saying, that portraiture work at 135 you're going to get some really nice uh, bokeh in some shots in the background of that stuff, and that can really ping, especially for an actor. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and having uh, a T-stop of 1.3, you know, if you want to shoot all the way open, uh, you know, and then with a, an additional uh, of, of the focal length of 135 millimeter, you have a, a very, very shallow depth of field you can achieve, mm. which even uh, more emphasizes this, uh, this bokeh. So... In uh, away from the master prime specifically, then sort of folklore, the theory is: well, if you've got a one three, the sweet spot's going to be at like two eight or four. Is that true? Is there like, is that still valid? Is that just an urban myth? No, um, I mean, certainly, you know, it, 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 the lens is. I don't want to say optimized, but uh, probably from its performance, you know, contrast performance and. Uh, and, and, and sharpness probably is is uh, optimal about a two eight I would think. But uh, again, the fall of uh, you know from the two eight to the one point three is 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 very very minute. So uh, um, you know it's it's almost un, unrecognizable. Yeah, especially I guess as the base ISO goes up on the digital cameras, um, the thought of being open at at one three. I mean, it's good to have it. But you know you can get into situations that you're focusing on the eyes and not the nose, and you you just that shallow that there's nowhere to go, which is great for some shots, but obviously um, you can't be distracting others. Yes, absolutely. And let's face it, a lot of films uh, that I grew up with were all shot at f four or five point six. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I mean the the T one point three was. Uh, was obviously um, you know more important uh, when when shooting film where you had certain limitations where you can only go to like a 500 ASA uh, film stock you know there you needed the additional speed there you needed to open up to all all the way to uh, the T1.3 uh, but as you said correctly with the um, newer generation digital cameras uh, like our Alexa system for instance you know you have a base sensitivity of 800 you can comfortably push it to like 1600 ASA, um, you, you don't necessarily need to open it up all the way. I'm, I'm going to guess I know the answer to this next question, but this must pair very well with the Alexa. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, it's, uh, it's actually a, a wonderful combination, and it's been, uh, been uh, very widely used. Uh, as a matter of fact, right now, 
uh, Roger Deakins is uh, shooting with uh, with the Alexa and uh, Mass Prime combination the next uh, James Bond picture. Yeah, and so, Skyfall. Um, correct. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and uh, let's face it, we'll see anything that Roger Deakins shoots. <laughs> yes, we will. <laughs> well, we. No, he's a he's a wonderful cinematographer, and uh, I mean his first experience with uh, with Alexa and the Master Prime was actually in time, and that uh, was also uh, wonderfully done. Yeah, yeah. I I knew that he was shooting with the Alexa. I didn't realize he was shooting primarily with the Master Primes. Um, and. Uh, and I guess the question comes, obviously, you know, many of us love primes over zooms, but how much of a difference is there other than f-stop do you think that you can see between, you know, ARRI sort of primes and ARRI zooms? Is it is it really, do you feel sort of a noticeable difference? I mean, obviously, I love primes. I'm not trying to say that we don't, but especially in stereo work, a zoom is a much more flexible lens. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Zeiss, uh, as you know, uh, doesn't build many zoom. We have a, a, a very nice uh, collaboration uh, with uh, Fujinon now, where we have uh, the 18 to 80 and the 45 to 250 zoom uh, currently in our uh, inventory. Uh, that will grow. We are also offering some, um, starting in February, some uh, lightweight zooms, uh, 14.5 uh, to 45 and the 30 to 80 millimeter. Um, but uh, I would say that in regards to prime lenses, size is, is certainly state-of-the-art and, uh, and uh, bleeding edge. So are we allowed to ask you what's sort of coming down the pipe? Because it seems like you've reached a point of a fairly comprehensive range. And, and as I said, like without trying to sound ridiculous, I mean, there is really quite subtle differences between some of these um, lenses in terms of field of view. Where to from here? Well, from what I understand from our friends uh, from Zeiss, they uh, they are ready to tackle uh, uh, anamorphic lenses and anamorphic primes uh, because uh, with our introduction of the uh, um, Alexa Studio, which has the uh, native 4x3 aspect sensor, uh, the interest in shooting um, anamorphic digitally is is uh, is getting a lot of interest. So uh, I think this is where uh, where our friends uh, from size will be going uh, from uh, from on from uh, from now on. It, it is absolutely true. There's a lot of interest in anamorphic and quite a lot of films that have been successful with them. Though I'd have to say one of the things that simple to like out of anamorphics is flares, and is getting chromatic aberrations and a lot of the stuff that you guys got a lot of trouble to get rid of. Um, is it is Correct. it somehow ironically annoying that that's what what appeals to people? Well, it, it really depends, you know, what do you see as a, um, as a feature and what, uh, uh, what do you see as, as an artifact? Uh, and, and I think this is, uh, depends really on the cinematographer. Um, I've seen a, a prototype of a lens anamorphic, a 50mm, and the optical performance really was uh, very much like a master prime. Uh, it, it was really um, quite... Uh, mind-boggling because uh, you, you had the MTF uh, of a mass prime, you had the contrast characteristics, and uh, you had a, a very square, you know, you, don't ha- you didn't have any, any distortion. Um, so, you know, some people like the barrel distortion they get with the primo anamorphics, or they do get uh, with the hawk, uh, wider hawk uh, lenses. 
Um, so it, it'll it'll be interesting to see how it pans out and how how they will be uh, accepted. Um, what will be also very very interesting is the the T stop. They I believe aiming for a T stop of about T1.9 throughout the range of the primes, which uh, hmm. will be uh, each. Uh, and in his in his uh, focal pull a, a nightmare, I think you know having an anamorphic format and then uh, uh, the speed of the lens. But uh, you know, you know, normally with anamorphic lenses, you would shoot between a two eight and a four anyway. Uh, but uh, uh, it, it'll be it'll be interesting. Um, but yes, it it will. Uh, also have uh, some some flares because, uh, for instance, the you know when uh, when you shoot directly into a car light, uh, car car uh, headlight, uh, this this blue uh, streak, you know, horizontal streak is is uh, almost a little uh, I say uh, trademark uh, of of anamorphic lenses. So uh, we'll, we'll see. I'm I don't sure think uh, I don't think JJ Abrams can film anything without a lot of characteristic horizontal streaks. Um, yeah, but. Look, uh, obviously the the incredible advance in just the f-stop and, as we said, the breathing has led the Academy to to award you uh, the Scientific and Engineering Award, um, the, the Academy plaque, as it were, and uh, and well, I mean, I I think it's amazing. I I guess for me, moving forward, the only other thing that I'd be curious in the anamorphic sound, awesome. Do you think that with these smaller uh, camera backs and even um, the Ari splitting into the, obviously the two sections to get a, a smaller weight, especially for things like um, stereo rigs. Do you think there's a need to also be exploring just physical weight and size in the lenses? Is that an issue? Um, it, it certainly can be, uh, particularly you know for for 3D applications. But I think you know the the, the size of the master primes is a is a very very good. Um, in between, you know, where you where you don't um, uh, you don't uh, um, lose lose any of the the lens performance, but you know the size and weight is is, is certainly still uh, manageable and uh, and uh, uh, quite sufficient. So, well, that's actually one point uh, I haven't really touched on. But the other thing that's really important in using a couple of master primes is that you're going to get good matching between two master primes, which is not something you can say for all lenses. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, the, those lenses, I mean, we, we can actually get uh, very, very carefully and very exact matched lens sets if, if need be. Um, but even if, if you take, you know, lenses from two different rental houses and you compare them for 3D applications, they're already very, very close. Uh, but we can certainly offer that as as a service and offer you know specially paired lenses. Yeah, because it's all very well getting something that looks terrific, but as you say, when you go to stereo, you need the terrific to be matching terrific, and uh, we mean that both chromatically and, of course, uh, in terms of uh, field of view and uh, and focus and everything else. They need to really move and sync. Yeah. Well, Absolutely. As I, as I said uh, a second ago, the. The uh, Scientific and Engineering Award, well learned. Congratulations for doing it, and thank you so much for taking time to talk to us. We really appreciate it. Gladly. Thank you very much. Excellent. Well, that was great. Thank you. Appreciate it. But, Mike, why? that was great to get them on the line, but you didn't ask them about that, that, uh, that other thing they make, those cameras. The Alexa? Yeah, because uh, they've just released the... Um, Alexa Studio, and, uh, you know, it's really kind of anamorphic capable. You're, you're really hankering for the anamorphic, aren't you? Yeah. Well, now that you've got a uh, 
pretty much the only. Well, now we've got a digital camera that has the a full, almost getting towards full academy size kind of chip, the four three ish kind of chip in the in the studio. Be good to see a bit more in the, on the scope side of things because the, the, I think they stopped making their Ari scope glass. Well, the reason I didn't talk to them about the Alexa, it's a good question. Um, you'd think I would if I got them on the line, is that we are going to be going over to LA uh, the week of the 6th of February and we're going to be visiting Ari hopefully and actually discussing with them firsthand Excellent. about the uh, Alexa. So we're going to be doing that then. Can I just flag a couple of things though related to the Alexa now that you brought that up because um, I really do appreciate that you've done it. And by the way, we're also going to be talking to Ted uh, from Red. We're going to be doing an in-depth interview with him so we could discuss state-of-the-art of Red away from the NAB because obviously NAB show comes around. We're going to have like really sort of – there'll be loud announcements and loud show floor. So we're going to do a base interview covering all the kind of mundane stuff – not the mundane stuff, but the kind of like stuff that's important to us away from the sort of headline um, reality distortion field of NAB. And then we'll cover the other stuff at – NAB. Now, what I wanted to flag was that, um, and this is kind of new, relevant, I hope, to you guys uh, here at FX uh, Guides uh, RC Podcast, is that at FXPHD's website, so that's uh, fxphd.com, we have a section now that's new outside the paywall. This is not as part of the internal training, uh, which is called the production blog. And you'll see that we actually have posted there a couple of things relevant to Ari. Um, first was we put up how to extract the metadata from what well, you're doing VFX work from the Alexa. So basically how to get out uh, all the information that the Alexa is doing that will go into the log C QuickTime files that are coming out from the ARRI. Uh, but also there's a piece there, Jace, of me having a bit of a rant um, about getting the most out of your 5D or Alexa signal and the whole idea of the extended range and why I got a bit cranky when I saw Marvel Cine profile thing declaring that it was you know, dynamic range theft and stuff. So it's not, it's not actually a rant. It's, it's a kind of long technical, well, not, yeah, it is technical, but it's a long discussion about what those issues are yeah. to try and discuss them sensibly and in normal English so that it isn't just a, I heard that somehow it's buggered or... So I, someone was going off about the fact that they, they thought that the technical, the technical exactly. uh, profiles uh, somehow... Uh, screwed up your dynamic range or limited it. Yeah, and, and I just basically tried to bust those myths down. I, and also, there's extended range in the Alexa, in the Alexa. Alexa as well. And I think yeah. look, there's nothing wrong with people using those. Which is a bit of a grey, it's a bit of a, a bit of a grey area. There is a setting that just says whatever it says, extended, extended, yeah, extended, extended or extended range or something. Yeah, and and I'm and you know reasonably, if you didn't know, you'd yeah. be like, hey, well, obviously, I want extended. Well, let's right? have that. Let's yeah, have turn extended. that on. Uh, but I go to show that uh, actually it affects the noise floor. Um, and so I don't mind people picking the extended. Um, but I would say this, that the guys at uh, ARRI and the guys at Technicolor are both groups, really, really first-class technical camera tech engineers. These are not people that are dicking around. And, and like, why on earth, if they were able to get a whole lot better dynamic range, would they not make that the default? And the answer is there must be some good reason and that's what I kind of discussed. Now, it may be that you're grading something in a particular way or doing a particular thing and this isn't the best solution for that particular job, but I would actually hate people for that myth to kind of start going its way around the industry that, you know, that the technical thing's really screwed or that, uh, you know, you have to switch this special button and and it's just, it's bollocks and I kind of don't like it when people um, publish stuff on the net and imply that other people are technically incompetent when I think the exact opposite. I, yeah. think. I have an enormous amount of respect for Technicolor and Ari. They're both really good people. 
and so that's why I bothered to spell it out. Um, anyway, that's there. But there's also, uh, I guess partly related to that, there's a um, uh, video uh, with Charles Point, and you were talking about Charles earlier. I yeah, yeah. With Charles. Oh, on, on FXPHD. Yeah, so that's the new place where publishing stuff that isn't like news. Yep. Um, but it's, you know, technical stuff and it's interesting stuff to do with... Uh, there's a studio profile there on what it's like to be an animator inside ILM with one of the um, team that worked on Rango that just got nominated for mm-hmm. Best... Uh, yeah, it's good to hear Charles talk. He's pretty impressive. He's pretty. It's pretty deep geek that I was. I was listening to, and that was that was the the camera version of the. That was you the, on the ASC. I though, went to the, the uh, yeah ACS ACS, uh, ACS. version of, of of his uh, of his camera tech and color science. I guess talk. Not the day before. No, which not, was the which even was more even fun super one. deeper tech. That was pretty crazy. Actually, but it's interesting to see. Interesting, nonetheless, interesting. To, he had a, a fair few interesting things to say about, yeah, colour and light, colour perception and light and just, uh, you know, how your eyes work, but also how CCD, there was an interesting bit he touched on about CCD, uh, not CCDs, about a sensor and, and with Moray, uh, with uh, um, Bayer Patton. Bayer Patton, he was talking about Bayer Patton's and, and how actually... LLP? aliasing kind of comes about yeah. and 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 um electronically what's actually happening and it's yep. really quite interesting when you go right down onto it, like a photon and a and uh you electron. know the cons- con- electron yep. and, and and how it actually works in the sensor and, and you go you go ah oh, it's really interesting how you get down this this sort of atomic subatomic kind of level well yet you can physically see on your yep. screen that you can sc- screw up your day yeah, you know, at the heart of it is is photons hitting a hole and not hitting a hole and not lining up and lining up and it's very interesting. I mean, this is the guy that we literally have to thank for square pixels on HD. Like, remember in the old days with PAL and NTSC, a circle on your Mac would be an oval and it was Charles that was in the room that went, hey, i got a good idea. Let's make the pixel square so that it looks the same as a computer monitor and it makes it really simple. He was also, by the way, at the lunch where they decided that uh, they should have a name for this new file format and they were like, let's try uh, digital um, production exchange, picture exchange, digital picture, DPX, that sounds good. Let's call it DPX. Yeah, because the um, point, well, they started off with point and the point, <laughs> point and system and that sort of got thrown out. Oh, you're a joking. Bit. No, yeah, but yeah. he did a lot of stuff on lab color and Photoshop, um, uh, a ton of really interesting things. I've had some great funny anecdotes about uh, why uh, 35 millimeter film is 35 millimeters big. Which I think you actually know the answer to that one. Well, I thought it was just like, it's like the uh, myth, right? That sort of Edison or whatever just held up his finger and said, meh, about that big. Yeah, Edison was talking to Eastman uh, yeah. of Eastman Kodak yeah. and said it should be about an inch. And so they went back and they made it an inch, but then they had to put sprockets on the outside. So that's why it ended up as 35 millimeter. Right. But yeah, and he did also some really interesting technical discussions about why it's actually dubious to go above, say, 14 bits on the sensor at capture level. And people could claim it's 16-bit, but actually it would be um, irrelevant and, uh, you know, not to get hung up on something. So, so, so it's not like he's just saying, oh, you should be tech, tech, tech. Um, but he, is, he did some really good stuff on OpenEXR and um, just yeah. a bunch of good stuff. And he's not just, you know, slide rules and, 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 and charts. He's, he has an excellent grounding in, you know, the real world. And he knows how this stuff applies. And he's talking about, mat, you know, the tech. But he knows, you know, no stranger to... A film set. So, so he had one for me, which I thought was really cool. So, you know, on the top of your SLR, should be good. Yeah, go ahead. What? No, no. Go on ahead. top of your SLR, you've got the adjustment for like, uh, it's like the time adjustment on the exposure, right? And it's like one, two, four, eight, and then it goes fifteenth, a thirtieth, a sixtieth, a one twenty-fifth, two fifty. Did you ever wonder why it didn't go? Because I often did. 
one, two, four, eight, sixteen, thirty-two, sixty-four, hundred and twenty-eight. Like, why is it one thousandth and not one thousandth and twenty-fourth? Being double of sixty-fourth or a one. Hang on, six hundred and forty. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what? No, because clearly, uh, no, I haven't wondered. <laughs> it's the double of five twelve. Half of. 1024 right. um, Because in chips... Because that's just making things overly complicated. No, because uh, it, the numbers have to be something. Like it's 125th. It's not 120. They didn't just round that's to the true. zero. Yeah, that's... And, yeah. and there's a really good reason for it, which is the same reason why I think on the 5D... Someone's going to tell me this is... Send in, by all means, um, to Do correct it. this. But um, the one... Um, uh, on the on the 5G, I think there's a thing you can have it going up in third stop increments or half stops. Yeah, you can have that as a setting. And diehards do a third of a stop. And I thought it was simply because a third of a stop was just a smaller number than a half a stop and it made no freaking difference. And somebody one day said, why couldn't we have a third as well as a half? And somebody said a quarter and they went, oh, shut up. We'll just why can't we have there. third stops in the shutter speeds? Yeah, because you can, you can adjust by a third of a stop or half. And I'm pretty oh, sure that's a setting. Yeah. But it's because... I come from post, right, where, especially when you get into film tech and stuff, it's all about density units. And so the density units are a different scale than, obviously, the steps of exposure, which is meant to be double is a stop, right? But it isn't double is a stop. Otherwise, it would go from 8 to 16, not 8 to 15. And the reason is yeah. that if you were doubling, like a 2 to 1 ratio, in third of a stop increments, that is almost exactly the same as if you have a 10 to 1 ratio. In other words, you jump by a, an order of magnitude in 10 steps. So 2 to 1 in 3 steps is almost equivalent to 1 to 10 or 10 to 1 in 10 steps, which means that you've basically got a number around 1.259. Anyway, the point is the density units and the stops match up, and that's why that you've, you've stopped breathing. <laughs> no, but it's true. It's like why it's... Why it's I'm sure someone understands it. Keep going. <laughs> I'm listening. Uh, I'm, anyway. trying, I'm trying to understand it. Okay. Well, anyway, there's a lot of discussion. Um, signal to noise ratio, standard stuff to noise. It's really good stuff. And Charles is obviously teaching over at FXPHD. We're lucky to have him here, and we're really glad that uh, he also did that interview with me. But I would seriously, go and check out the thing on um, the getting the most out of your Mark uh, to or Alexa. Because mm. that's the sort of stuff that Charles was talking about, although I extended from Charles. I, he didn't talk about the um, – Charles never had a go – at the Marvel Cine profile stuff I did. Right. Um, but uh, he was just explaining stuff. But I, I just think, you, you know, better informed is better. I just have that personal yeah, opinion. Absolutely. Just being educated in general is, is great. Just sort of, even if it doesn't, some of it doesn't stick, you know, now, it'll be something that does. Talking about digital and stuff, just really quickly, there was a couple of videos that we were discussing before we went on. Well, actually, before we moved on to Alexa, uh, oh, okay. from Alexa, I was going to say the first uh, Alexa Studio and F65 were both not not launched, obviously, but they're both delivered. Uh, first Alexa sixty five is going to let us play with it. Excellent. When do we get our hands on it? Must be soon. As it arrives, he said we could come can't and be, play. Can't be long. Can't be a long. A friend I don't think. of the RC. Excellent. Awesome. Tony. That'd be good. Oh, good. Oh, that's right. Okay, cool. Good uh, first Alexa Studio uh, hit uh, Able Cine. Uh, the awesome Able Cine and the very lovely and highly attractive Mitch Gross. Okay, I take that back. Actually, uh, the excellent Mitch Gross uh, and Able Cine have their first uh, Alexa Studio delivered. Congratulations! And the F's first F sixty five delivered to uh, Otto Nemitz. That's impressive because that's like 
NAB that was launched, right? First thing we even said, we knew something yeah, was coming, under, but that was the first time we ever sort of launched launch. in April and less than, a, less than a year. Obviously, there's some development under the bridge there before we even heard it was coming. But uh, from less than a year from launch and showing you know, rough pre-production cameras, please don't touch it or look at it too hard, you know. <laughs> Just, 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 just look at it for a minute, and then we'll cover it back up before, unless something breaks. I wasn't touching it; I was just looking at it. We don't even look at it. <laughs> just don't even look at it. And then that, uh, and two, now being you know delivered and starting to ship for F sixty five. So that's impressive all round. So yeah, congrats there. Okay, so so Mike, yes, moving on to a couple of videos. That we, uh, well, no, really I just thought it was awesome. good flagging them because we were talking about them before. You know, like, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, press pause play was one of them. Yeah, which is freaking awesome. Um, but is that the one that's that's the one that's out? Okay, that's out already, right? Because yeah, there's another one that isn't out. Out already. And what's interesting is that the entire doco is available on Vimeo, and uh, you can actually. Uh, last I checked, and you still can download the file if you want to do over a gig of 1920-1080, beautifully shot uh, documentary on um, uh, the digital revolution and I guess how democratizing it has changed uh, changed things for good and bad i guess though Putting... interesting that you can also buy it for 14.99 on itunes oh can you okay um, i wasn't aware it was on, on itunes so maybe the one that's free is going to be not around <laughs> for much longer <laughs> maybe you got to sort of get rid of that little link get, get it quick. So on you go to settings and then you say uh, allow allow others to download this file and you click no mm-hmm. it's a tip for you there's a lot of really good people in uh uh press Pause play. Yeah, there's actually a section about ten or so minutes in there with the Ted and a bit of a section on Red, and and how that obviously changed the uh, uh, start of the change of, of the entire um, the the field of play. But it's it's not just it's, uh, it's not just cinema. It's music. Yeah. The, you know, the fact that you can have an entire you know garage band on your iPad, or you used to be able just to be able to make a record. You used to know have to know somebody in the record industry, or have to know somebody who could get you into a studio at night, or know producers and know people who knew how to work stuff. And now, of course, it's you know you can do it all on do it all on your iPhone if you want. So what's to. the other one? The other one's the Keanu Reeves one, right? That yeah, that video? this is this is uh, a bit more applicable, maybe and. This one is not out yet. It's just a trail at the moment, but uh, it is uh, called Side by Side. So if you go to sidebysidethemovie.com. Side by Side Side the by movie. Side the movie.com. Got it. Now, so this is, I think it's Keanu, Keanu Reeves Production Company. Look at the people in that. This is just outstanding. The amount of people he's, he's they've got, Jim got in and front Ted of. In this and, but more, they've got that. They've Jim got on camera Soderberg, alone is Cameron, pretty amazing. David Lynch. Chris Nolan, Wally Fister, Finch. Uh, wow. George Lucas, Rodriguez, Michael Chapman, Dick Pope, Don, Don McAlpine, yeah, Bauhaus. David Tedestal. It This is a huge amount of shooters, directors, Joe Schumacher, Walter Murch, editors, Dennis Murin, John Knoll. Yep, for FX people. So this is a really wow. uh, basically Danny Boyle. The, the liner notes, I guess, it investigates the history, process, and workflow of both digital and photochemical film creation. We show what artists and filmmakers have been able to accomplish with both film and digital and how their needs and innovations have helped push filmmaking in new directions. So it's a really interesting... Um, now, that is not out until 
the Berlin Film Festival on the 15th of February. Right. right. Then I guess it will be, I don't know what the release date is on there, whether it'll actually out, be out as a short on, on doing the festivals or whether you'll be able to get it from iTunes or whether it'll be in cinemas. I don't know. But uh, it's 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 really interestingly done, beautiful, beautifully done, and it's a, it's a really interesting discussion to 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 have, and to, it's great that and Keanu's behind it. It's really really interesting. We should see if we can talk to them. But we okay. Anybody know Keanu? I, I actually do know somebody who knows Keanu because uh, he was out here on the Matrixes. Actually, Keanu is a nice guy. He is a nice guy, and uh, I don't. I want to say who because it was private but a friend of ours uh was uh and there was another friend who was on his film and there was a bucks night and it was all good yeah and um and yes i don't think i should tell that story yeah no, okay That's involves not. a clown suit <laughs> jim cameron yes. vince pace uh steve soderberg Man, they've got some amazing people together for this doco so yeah it'd be great to talk to them about them and um, we should find out what's happening with the film um yeah, so SideBySideTheMovie.com and that trailer is on there and also on Vimeo if you just search for Side by Side. Two awesome docos. Um, interestingly, the press pause play thing has been just done by a creative agency, House of Radon. In .com. somewhere unusual, right? I'm not sure where they are. I think but it's like it in is Sweden or something. It just looks, it is beautifully done. It is, that is a really just gold standard of how to shoot a beautiful, I mean, a beautiful looking, you know, it's, you know, a little bit sort of shallow depth DSLR kind of look, but it's, well, you, like you know, that. yeah, it's gorgeous. It's beautifully shot and um, a really interesting mix of uh, music, vision, 100%, talking heads, B roll. Yeah, it's just, it's, Really nice approach, uh, but yeah, it's just done by a, a creative agency, and I can't see any real branding. It's just out there, done, finished, release, and <laughs> for the moment, available for free, or for fourteen ninety nine from or for fourteen ninety nine uh, from the iTunes store. For those that didn't listen to this podcast, yes, just enter the code free. Just enter the code Vimeo dot com into yeah. your go to that thing down the bottom that says Safari Each week, dear Firefox. listeners, we have a really interesting uh, set of show notes which you can download from the uh, the website. There's a link in the uh, FX Guide entry for the RC. And, and part of those show notes are things that Jason gives to me to talk about. And this week, in the show notes, Jason, mm-hmm. there is a link to Google Maps that seems to oh, be... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, is awesome. Is this a spoof? It's inside B&H. This is awesome. Google Maps is starting to do... The, oh, Google, Google Street View is, is starting to do this. Yeah, yeah. This it's, is not it's, like somebody's done it as a and this is No, this is it, This is on on the map. I guess if you click on B&H Photo, I guess. I haven't gone that way. I've gone through another link. But if you find B&H Photo in New York, like probably the yeah. biggest, like the mecca of, of camera shops in the world, you can, and, and as I street, uh, say, Street View is starting to do this with some shops where you can't just sort of see the shop from the outside from the street. You can then go through the front door and wander right through the street, through the shop and l- check it out. So this is, you can actually start navigating through the place, through the aisles, start looking at the, um, start basically just walking through the place and uh, oh, look, uh, checking the place a, out. And this is one camera shot you want to ha- check out. Like this is on my list, Life to Do This. There's, there's a section here that I've just walked to on my Google map mm. that's for chemicals. I think it's right beside the loo, the buy photo paper and stuff. Right, by the loo. 
How up to date is this one? It's really funny if you went in there. So I want this. It's here in this aisle. Oh, wait, <laughs> yeah, you moved I saw it. it. I saw it there. It's off to the left. No, no, no. Where are you standing? Okay, okay. Now shuffle to your right. Look on your left on the shelf. A bit higher. Yeah, right there. You know, like give your iPad and you'd stand in the shop and then like show it to the assistant. Right here. See? <laughs> You moved this thing here. <laughs> this is. You, it was in stock when this was taken months ago. <laughs> it's in stock. I can see. I can see. I can see. Yeah, it's one of those things like the rest of uh, Google Maps or Street View, where you know it's incredibly out of date and the shop doesn't even exist anymore. But this is a massive shop. I'm dying to go there. I'm ready. I can't. I, I, they've it is a- they've hoovered an awful lot of money out of my wallet over the time, and uh, I really want to actually go there in person and, and actually oh, ho- you have it hooded. Have it hooded. Part of your pay automatically deposited. Yeah, into I should just bank account definitely. Definitely. Auto deduct. It makes life easy. I'm I'm running out of stuff to be able to buy, and so I'm sure if I go there in person, I'm going to find new find things it. to buy. I'm going to find stuff to buy. Oh, so anyway, Jay, somebody sent us a link that they have a modified 5D infrared oh, yeah. for sale. Yeah, I'm so tempted to buy that. I'm so tempted. I'm going to get kneecapped by my how wife. We, how can we? How can we get that? I need to get find that done under the under the radar, under the back of the sofa, down the back. It was. I'm trying to think where it was. Yeah, I'll, I, at the risk of, I'm sure it'll either be sold or no. Don't do uh, that. Cause I might still buy it. Okay. All right. Hey, um, we need to go. But uh, I was wondering, can I instead of doing a Twitter shout out, can I do a different thing? Would that be right? Yes. Well, I'm not going to do a blog shout out. I'm going to do another podcast shout out. Okay. So, yeah. So, I was at the open air cinema in uh, Sydney, which is opposite the Opera House. So, you basically, you're sitting outside, a screen comes out of the water, and it's really nice. And they only have one show a night, obviously. And it's only on for the Festival of Sydney in January. But you are literally opposite the Opera House and the Harbour Bridge. The sun is setting. It is just gorgeous. I didn't have a camera with me. Oh, wait, I did. I have my iPhone. So I used the, an, a, a little thing called iTimelapse Pro. Now, the reason I mention this is I don't really want to get into lots of phone apps except for to say I was oh, I've got a couple. extraordinarily <laughs> impressed by this because not only when I did I like that it was set up the way that it was, but it actually stabilized the shots. So because, you know, when the table gets bumped a little bit and people are getting up and down on the decking that you're sitting you'd yeah, expect particularly it to if it's an, impr- an impromptu kind of yeah, time lapse impromptu. where you're and just you kind of holding not, it up against something well I wasn't holding it but it was resting on the table yeah. you know, against the against our Polish lemonade jug of cocktails but every once in a while I had to actually pour out some more vodka stuff so anyway um, I get it back and actually it's automatically you render it in the camera it's automatically stabilised so ah. that it uh, looks gorgeous and wonderful I'm sure and you can I, switch that off if you need to but that sounds pretty impressive it was what, Which one is that? That doesn't sound like the one that I use. What's no, it's iTimelapse Pro. iTimelapse Pro. Anyway, okay. I just got to mention it. Yeah, okay. The one I use is just called, creatively called, Timelapse. Uh, what was that app that you had that um, you were showing me that you were mucking around with your kids with? Oh, that was hysterical. Uh, yeah, that's what I was going to mention. It's called Action Movie. And this is sort of doing the rounds. Most people may have already seen this one. It's just, it's kind of silly, kind of fun. I think actually it is, actually, uh, one of, actually might even be free. Uh, it's by Bad Robot, made by Bad Robot Studios. Uh, it's just pretty simple. You can just like film a street or someone standing there, and you can um, like a chopper crashes and it, it crashes on them, and explodes, or a car rolls over and just takes out the camera. Or and it's quite clever. And it's it really, free. really, it's really, very well done. It's it's just it's hysterical. It's, it's one of those silly kind of have a bit of fun at the dinner party, geeky dinner party kind of guy, kind of go. gags. I like going to. But it's one of those parties. gateway drug things where it's got a couple of effects in it. And and you can start buying extra effects. You oh, know. okay. You buy more stuff. So in it might be free to begin with, but yeah. So that's action movie, and that's that is hysterical. You can. Um, 
So what was, this, a lot of fun what was this podcast you were going to mention before we run out of time? Uh, is The Business by, oh, which, yeah, from the it's KCRW, awesome. which I don't think I've mentioned before, which is just... Kim Masters, awesome. Yep, Kim Masters, and I'm trying to think of the uh, the guy from the LA Times, I think, who or um, uh, who, who comes on and does, from comes on and does the uh, banter. Oh, I know what you mean. Uh, the, the beginning bit, which is almost like the best bit of the... Uh, best bit of the jo- jo- Jonathan Horn. John- Jonathan Horn. Yep. John yep. Horn. Jonathan Horn. Yep. You know that they have actually their own separate show for that, right? For so you know the, the banter. banter at the beginning of the business. Yeah. There's another show called KCRW's Hollywood Breakdown. Oh, which that's is awesome because I kept just thinking a banter bit. Oh, that'd be awesome because it's not the same banter bit. It's another banter. Yeah, bit. Yeah. Oh, good because there should it's be like a whole a, show just of that banter. Because well, this is, is a awesome. short show, but it's like it's like you can't wait the week. For Kim and John to do the main banter. Yep. Get a midweek pre-banter banter. So it doesn't just have... It has this banter bit at the beginning, but then they had to have some really interesting discussions. Oh, yeah, totally. It's with with awesome. filmmakers. Uh, the making of the last... Just the last three. This is on their list here. Uh, KCRW.com. Uh, and you can sort of find the show there. Uh, well, there's a great one on Sundance, um, just uh, yep. which is sort of wrapping up now. But it was a great uh, chat with the festival director John Cooper and how his process for selecting films, and also his sort of thoughts on what what is out there for films once they if they get into Sundance. What what hope in hell do they have of actually you know going forward or getting some sort of success? And how that's changed over the last just literally over the last couple of years of of some. Well, I have to say that the one on Moneyball, which was not so much about making of the film as like the green lighting of the film. I yeah, guess. that was interesting. That was the but, almost almost unmaking of the film and Soderbergh being attached and then yeah. sort of being uh, leaving it like seventy two hours before. Well, actually, the studio not wanting to go forward. Uh, 72 hours yeah. before production. Uh, Kim Masters is really, on. really good. I've got to tell you, the one oh, that yeah. just totally nailed it for me, go back and listen in October to her interview with Roland Emmerich. I mean, it will totally cause you to reevaluate oh, okay. Roland Emmerich as a director. It was spectacularly good. I'm not the only person that thinks so. Uh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Talking about Anonymous, making Anonymous. Yeah. That was really interesting. Really, be- really good. Because they were talking about how little money it was made for and how much he wanted to do the project, obviously, and how much it made it. Uh, he f- struggled to get it done for the money and where that meant they had to shoot. And, yeah, so it's interesting. It wasn't too much the, um, you know, diving into the effects and all that sort of stuff, but it was really talking about how how they how they achieved this massive look for a really really surprisingly small budget now he was he was really good to talk to there's, it's there's there's never a bad show really when you think oh god this is going to what are we talking about some web show that turned into a stage show which turned into a short film or something and there's always an interesting yep, uh, angle really to it so yeah it's really really clever there are some other shows on KCRW there's um in fact there's i haven't i know that um Kim Masters is on some of the other shows as well. Right. I think there's a show called Which Way LA, which I think she was on okay. recently. I haven't heard it, but there's a few other things. But KCR, KCRW, KCRW um, the business, I think, is the best of the lot. Yeah, yeah. The treatment is okay. It might get a little With bit Elvis sort of... Mitchell. Elvis Mitchell's one. It might just get a little bit sort a little of... A little bit sycophantic. Cloying and a bit sort of, you know, bit, fawning. Yeah, a little bit fawning. Yeah. I think. Yeah, everyone's wonderful... You know, yeah, I have so to say amazing. that. I felt that way a bit. It's a bit like, uh, um, what do you call it, inside the actor's studio. <laughs> yeah. You know, it can yeah. be a bit sort of like... You His know. thing with Brad Bird was 
a little bit like every time Brad laughed at one of his jokes, he wanted to right. retell the joke because he loved it. So, I mean, I'm not, I should never go because he's a nice guy, I'm sure. <laughs> it's but, like because uh, you've seen that thing where um, no, no, we shouldn't have a go at Elvis. Yeah. No, 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 no. But the, there's um, the inside the actor studio. Will Ferrell does a a um, he used to do yeah uh, the guy from inside the actor studio on Saturday Night Live. And there's one where he just takes him off and it's just so exactly like that, that like every single person on the show is so incredibly amazing that, uh, that uh, you know, it just goes into, goes into such um Well, the funniest thing inside the actor's studio is when they actually had the guy from Hangover who had graduated from inside the actor's studio. So you've not seen him fawn until you've seen him fawn over somebody that was one of his students. Right. I mean, they actually both tear up regularly through the app. I saw it on the plane and I, I was really like, really? Really? <laughs> In parting, there's one, one, actually one last, one episode of, uh, uh, I'm trying to find it, inside the actor's studio where Will Ferrell comes on as a guest, but he comes on uh, doing his impression of the oh, guy God. from inside the actor. I'm trying to think of his name. But having said that, I, I do think that there are times type, I've type, type. watched inside the actor's studio and really enjoyed it. Oh, James Lipton, that's right. He's, Lipton, he's doing yeah. this James Lipton episode. He then, Will Ferrell starts asking, you know, they do the 20 What's your the, the questions. Yeah, exactly yes. right. Starts we'll ask the question James now Lipton. that we're asked by the inevitable blah, 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 who formulated the question. Do a dance and all that stuff. Yes. So, yeah, that is, if somehow, I'm sure it's on YouTube, if you can find Will Ferrell, Ferrell being James Lipton, interviewing James Lipton on Inside the Actors Studio. It's, it's, it's hysterical. It's just one of those shows that just, it just asks to be parodied mercilessly and it, and it gets it so yeah anyway James I think Lipton Will Fowler interview yes yep. inside the actor's studio I'll try and find the link I've already found it oh good okay there you I go. must uh, put that in my notes I need to go okay me too I gotta go shoot in this beautiful weather thank you thank you um, where can we find you Mike uh, we can find you on the Twitters yeah, at Mike Seymour, but mainly you'll find me over at FX Guide and FX PhD. Yep. And do check out the stuff that I said about on PhD because I'd love to get your feedback because it's in, outside the paywall. I'd really like to. Uh... Yeah, um, and I'm on as Wingrove on Twitter and wingrove.tv for my website. So thanks all for listening. Catch you soon. See you guys. Thanks for listening. Send your questions or comments to rc at fxguide.com. Copyright 2011, FX Guide, LLC.